raids. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Raise, raise. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Grainy's Graves. God damn it, I hate Jake Paddock! All right, let's get go. some Raiders playoff grades in. First topic, the referees. Just in a negative mood today, even with my ring. <laughs> the F worst. F minus. 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 F the worst. F the worst. We talked about it at the beginning of the show. Uh, they completely bungled a ton of calls. Then, actually, they had New York uh, kind of defend them on the inadvertent whistle, which was typical uh, but foolish to defend that when they said they thought the whistle came after the catch. So I thought they were horrible. Statement after the game gets an F. F. They lied to us. They yeah. literally put out a statement afterwards saying the whistle blew after the pass was caught. That it, and they can it watch it themselves. It I'm sure they did watch it themselves. Because here's the thing: we talked about this earlier in the show, and I I do not believe that had a, that made an impact on the play. I think the Bengals, if the if there's no whistle blown, I think the Bengals score a touchdown on that play. I do not believe Trayvon Merrig stopped because he heard a whistle because the whistle blew when the ball was already in the air and the ball was you know five yards away from being caught. I don't think any difference happens on that play if it's caught. So I think the touchdown is. Fine. It's not the right way that should have been ruled by the rule book, but I think it's fine. But to then afterwards tell everyone, no, 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 no. The whistle blew after the pass was caught. Right. After it was caught. No. That didn't happen. We all know that didn't happen. It didn't happen. We, we knew it didn't happen live. And then we knew it didn't happen after seeing the replay. Yeah. Unbelievable. Also, I know you weren't watching the TV broadcast. No. They like didn't mention it for like five minutes. Like, we were three plays into the next drive before we got a replay with the sound up to hear the whistle. Like, they, like, when it happened live, Mike Tirico was like, well, is that a whistle? But, like, they didn't give us a replay with the sound up on the field until the next drive had already started. Like, they were like, oh, and then they brought in the rules expert, like, three plays later. They're like, oh, this touchdown, yeah, probably shouldn't have stood. Would the inadvertent whistle, like the explanation for the inadvertent whistle, been better had they gone, yeah, it was someone in the stands. Yes. Yes. That lie would yes. have been better because then you can't actually refute it. Right. Then you can't be like, well, I don't know. Maybe it did come right. from the crowd. But that, yes, would have been a much better lie because it's much <laughs> harder to well, – You, everyone can disprove the other lie. We know it happened before we caught it. Next topic, Foster Moreau blocking Trey Hendrickson. A plus F minus fail. A plus F minus fail. So I can't give an E, which I was going to give to Foster Moreau for effort, but I'm going to give an F minus fail for whoever had him lined up against Hendrickson. And I don't know if that's the scheme. I don't know if that's Olsen. I don't know what it is, but for him to be lined up against him is not good. And I'm not going to put any blame on Foster Moreau. I mean, I sure he tried his best to <laughs> block the guy. He's usually not lined up there. So A plus an F. A plus F. Oh, All right, you get the plus. Oh, Here we go. Right. Here we go. Greg Olson, F. F. Derek Carr, F. F. Andre James, F. F. 
Like you, I don't know who's to blame. All three of them get blamed because quarterback, center, offensive coordinator, all three of them at some point should realize before that ball is snapped, huh, we got our backup tight end blocking their best edge rusher, the guy most likely to get to Derek Carr. We're putting Foster Moreau on him one-on-one. I don't know who's in charge of that, but at some point, one of those three, all three of them should have said, that ain't right. That's not going to happen. We probably shouldn't do that. And that's the play where Derek Carr gets stripped. Gets stripped. And you lose a game by seven points. Yep. Losing that turnover, you can very easily point to and say, hey, that's the difference in the game. So Fs all around. Like, not even close. There should never be at any point where Foster Moreau is one-on-one with the best edge rusher on the opposing team. Next Failure. Josh Jacobs. Eh. B? B. Thought he played pretty well. Had rushing yards, caught some balls. I didn't, I mean, I mean, I don't think they, I mean, he had some yards. I won the prop on him with our props at the paper, so that's good. He went over the props. (laughs) I always get passing grades of people who go over props and I pick over. Um, He wasn't the, I don't think he was the reason they lost the game. He was not. I will give him an F, though. Oh, of course. F. Because of one play, his his best play of the game. He had a 35-yard run, his longest run of the season. He should have scored a touchdown. He went untouched for 35 yards and got run down by a cornerback. That's one of the biggest problems with Josh Jacobs as a running back. He does not have long runs. He does not score touchdowns. Part of the reason the Raiders' red zone offense has been such a highlighted mess is because Josh Jacobs can't score from 50 yards out. He should have scored from 50 yards out on that play. He broke. He was untouched for 35 yards. He broke free into the secondary, and a cornerback ran him down. He didn't fumble, so credit to him because it almost got punched out there, but that should have been a touchdown, and guess what? The Raiders settled for, settled for a field goal on that drive. That should have been a touchdown drive. He should have been into the end zone, and he's not fast enough. He is not a fast enough running back. He doesn't break away from teams or from uh, defensive backs like other running backs do. He's too slow. Next topic, Jamar Chase. I'm going to say C minus. I'm looking here. C minus. Oh, no, that's wrong. Asterisk. Asterisk, asterisk. Give me a B. Asterisk. What is a C minus a B? Nine catches for 116, 12.9 yards. Also had some nice sweeps. So I, I misspoke on the first grade. Uh, I'll give him a B. B. I'm going to give an F. F. But not to Jamar Chase. <laughs> to the Raiders coaching staff. The Raiders like to play Casey Hayward on the field side and then Trufant, Faison, who's ever on the field, on the boundary Faison. side. They let Casey Hayward, hey, there's more field on this side, so you stay. They do not have their corners travel to cover the best wide receivers. And that is the second time this season that Gus Bradley and his defensive schemes have been exploited because he is unwilling I to thought, change. Didn't they switch it up at one point? Faison got hurt. And Trufant Face, came in the game. And Trufant came in the game. Yes. I thought they switched Hayward on Chase. No, Hayward would cover Chase when he was on the field side, whenever it was like right. if the, the ball's on the right hash. Hayward's always on the left side of the field if the ball's on the right hash and vice versa. Whichever side of the field, there's more field to cover. That's where Casey Hayward goes. So Jamar Chase would line up on that side of the field sometimes and Hayward would cover him. But anytime the Bengals needed a big play, they'd just put Jamar Chase on the short side of the field. He'd get face on or true font against him. He'd run down the field, turn around, catch the ball. 
Well, then I'll give an F to the Bengals for never putting him on, and for always putting him on the other side and never putting him against Casey Hayward. He probably could add 250 yards in this game. But that's twice this year where Gus Bradley and this defense have been stubborn and unwilling to change, and it's cost them. Kansas City, where they refuse to play anything but cover three against Kansas City, and Patrick Mahomes like, okay, that's nice. I'm going to torch this. And now this, where they refuse to just, after like the first drive, it should have been, all right, we're changing. Casey Hayward, you're covering Jamar Chase no matter where he is on the field. We'll figure the rest of this out, but you're covering Jamar Chase the rest of the game. So what it should have been, and it didn't happen, and they give up a massive game to Jamar Chase. Next topic, Joe Burrow. Well, by your logic, they'll give Joe Burrow an A because he kept finding Jamar a. Chase, 24-34-244 for two touchdowns, uh, plus the inadvertent whistle. He did not step out of bounds, so that was a hell of a play by him. <laughs> uh, but if your logic is that the Raiders have messed up on one side, I guess we got to give Joe Burrow credit on the other side for finding his guy. Solid. Joe Burrow gets an F. Oh my F. God. Do you know why that game was close? The referees? Because the Bengals sucked in the red zone. We've talked plenty about the Raiders sucking in the red zone. The Bengals should have been up in that game 21-3. to The Bengals should have been blowing the Raiders out. Right? We're talking about a terrible start for the Raiders. But the Bengals couldn't score touchdowns in the red zone. They kept settling for field goals. And because of that, that game was almost, that game was close. Because of that, it came down to a final play, not in the end zone, two yards short of the end zone. But it came down to almost a play in the end zone because Joe Burrow and the Bengals couldn't put that game away. They should have put up 30-plus points in that game. There's no doubt about it. They should have been better offensively and ended any hope of the Raiders' comeback in, like, the first quarter, right, at least in the second quarter. But they couldn't do it. They could not take advantage. I mean, the, the strip sack, Bengals kicked a field goal after that. Raiders defense came up like three times in this game where they had to defend a short field and stop the Bengals from scoring a touchdown. Like Joe Burrow, they weren't good enough. Like they almost had to go to overtime because the offense wasn't good enough. Next topic, Marcus Mariota. Oh, this is easy. A plus pass, pass. A plus (laughs) pass, pass. Marcus ran on for his one play. (laughs) Then there was a penalty to shove them back five yards. And he knew enough to where, okay, I can't throw. They don't let me throw. It was it was first and 10, I believe. Now it's first and 15. I know I'm coming off. So he sprinted off, proving he was fast and big. <laughs> and so I give Marcus an A for being aware that he's not good enough in their a. eyes to throw the ball. So he ran off the field on his one play. <laughs> Thought it was great. Uh, Marcus Mariota gets an incomplete. <laughs> incomplete. Well, we didn't, didn't play. Uh, hey, he didn't throw. He couldn't get an incomplete. But you're telling me, I'm giving another F, by the way. F F straight down the board today. F. To the coaching staff. F. You're telling me we're talking about the Raiders losing a game while Derek Carr was terrible in the red zone and Marcus Mariota didn't get a single snap in the red zone. Well, is that an F for him or an F for the people? The coaching staff. Oh, yeah, the coaching coaching staff. staff. He didn't get a go. And this is after the last, like, three weeks of the season. We were kind of seeing a little bit more and more Marcus Mariota. It got to a point where I was like. Yeah, we were. We're going to see a play that where he throws it down the field. he actually throws the ball down to Carr. Right. We're going to yeah. see like a fun play here, and you're telling me they can't run one play with Mariota in the red zone? Not one. Not one single time. Hell, the time he ran on the field, by the way, was a second and 10 at like midfield. Oh, yeah. It wasn't even in the red zone. Wasn't short yardage. Wasn't red zone. It was second and 10. I'm like, that's not when you put him in the game. Like, 
Complete failure. I cannot believe they were that bad at it. Unbelievable Asterisk. that they were that bad at it. Failure. Um, all right. I've got I've got one more bonus topic for you. Oh, a bonus topic. Cincinnati, the city. I don't want to be too mean because I didn't see much of it. <laughs> I saw Check the downtown. Though, so I'll say I can't really go incomplete either. I have to go D. D. I saw the downtown. I think I saw literally, I'm not kidding. I saw one regular car and five policemen going by and, and with the sirens on. And I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> at different times too. It wasn't even at the same time. Like every hour there'd be like a there'd be like a police car going by with their, their lights on and, 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 and their sirens on. Did you try Skyline Chili? No way. Never uh, no chance, never went near it. Disappointing. They had it, I believe, at halftime. In the press box? Yeah, I think they had it. Cause oh, you I had think, it for free? Oh, you should have tried I it even, for I us. didn't even stay at my seat. I didn't even go up because Case came down, and I said, what do they have? And he said, hot dogs. But then I saw someone with a, a um, like a bowl, and it had the spaghetti and the chili, so I assumed that's, that's, what, Skyline that's chili. what it was. But no, I didn't go near it. No, it wasn't happening. All right. No chance. A little disappointed, especially if it was free. I can understand being like, I'm not wasting my hard-earned money. On Skyline Chili. But yeah, he just you won his down fantasy league. He's rolling in cash over there. Plenty of cash. So you would not. Did you do anything in Cincinnati? No. Is there anything to do in Cincinnati? On Friday, when Darren Millard was in here, he was like, what's Cincinnati known for? And I didn't have I had Skyline Chili. Skyline Chili. I didn't have an answer outside. He was no. like, but what do you do there? Like, I, the, you can go see a Reds game in the summer. The only cool thing was all the facilities are within like five feet of each other. The baseball park, the football, the football practice facility. There's the oh, this you'd like this, which was probably the best of all facilities, which was the soccer stadium. Now they got a brand new one. They have a yeah. brand new one. It's beautiful, and they're all like right there. So that's actually kind of cool. I mean, you know, half the time you don't know if you're in Cincinnati, you don't know if you're in Ohio or Kentucky. You know that 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 dang river. I mean, if you you got to say what side am I on, I don't even know what state I'm in. That that actually is accurate. I mean, literally, what side of the uh, water are we on? The only good thing about Cincinnati that I know of is a TikTok I saw over the weekend from the Cincinnati Zoo, where they let their penguins waddle around the zoo, okay. like they just let them out. And they walk where the people walk. Oh no, that's yeah, cool. it's great. Like amongst the public? Yeah, it's the penguin parade. I mean, there's, you know, the caretakers are with right. them or whatever. But, yeah, they just waddle out through the public where all the people are. That they, would be cool. They can look at other animals be cool. and be like, huh, what are you? Yeah, so that's the only good thing about Cincinnati that I know of. I mean, it's pretty bad when you're asking, where do you think WKRP is? Would Tyler I have mean, any idea? No, uh, yes, not. because Darren brought that up on Friday and was stunned that I didn't know what WKRP was. He was stunned? You didn't know? These people don't know me. Yeah. I mean, he was like, you work in radio. Everyone should know that. And I was like, no, Darren. And then I look it up and it's like from the 70s. Yeah, like, that's not even me? like th there have been other radio based sitcoms since that one yes. in the 70s. Yes. So, Cincinnati, drop. great city. Coming up next, Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs. I never realized baseball had so much butt touching. Bischoff's Briefs. That's how they communicate. Bischoff's Briefs. It's like Braille, but with butts. Bischoff's Briefs. Read my butt! UNLV basketball. They played tonight against San Jose State, but I want to go back to their last game Friday against Fresno State. They lost, and they got torched by Orlando Robinson, who had 24 points he drew 11 fouls in that game. He was fouled him, himself 11 times. UNLV committed 19 in the game, and 11 of them 
were against Orlando Robinson. They could not defend him without fouling. Both Royce Ham and Victor Ewalker finished that game with four fouls, and David Milwaukee had like three in like three minutes. He would have had four if he had played any longer. My big concern or problem with that specific game and that specific matchup is I feel like Orlando Robinson's the type of player that Kevin Kruger recruited this roster to stop. Like, that's not the guy that should be torching UNLV. Like, they they should have the physical specimens to stop a big guy that can shoot threes. They were supposed to be really good defensively this year. That's what they tried to fix in the offseason. They're supposed to be really athletic and long, which would lead you to having guys that can defend big guys that can shoot threes. And they couldn't do it. They could not do it. They fouled so much. Didn't in we that say game. all in the offseason early in the season they became more like San Diego State, long, athletic, defensive kids? Yeah. And and listen, Orlando Robinson's very good. He went and yes. put up 31 the no, next game. But it was San Jose State, but he put up 31 the next game. Like, he's very good. He's Ken Palm, one of Ken Palm's top five players in the country so far this year. He's been phenomenal. But it's disappointing when you're UNLV and you built your whole offseason identity around defense, defense. We got more athletic. We're going to be long. We're going to be able to disrupt teams. And you kind of play one of the best players in the conference and you just have nothing Get for torched. him. Yeah, you got no answer for him. So that to me, very disappointing in the micro sense of that game. The macro sense, it's still the same conversation we're having. You know, we can't beat a good team. Right. They're nine and seven this year. They're nine and zero oh against everyone they've been favored against. Everyone outside the Ken Palm top 100. Perfect nine and zero. Oh. They're 0 oh and seven. Every time they've been an underdog, they're 0 oh and seven. Every time they played a Ken Palm top 100 team. At some point, I assume they're going to be the Ken Palm top 100 team because San Diego state, Boise state, Colorado state, Nevada, Utah state, and Fresno state are all in the top 100. They're going to play it like 10, 11 game. Well, we'll see, but they're going to supposed to play like 10, 11 games against those teams. At some point, they'll win one of them, right? They're not so bad that they just never win one. But, like, we're getting to a point here where UNLV simply just cannot beat a competent opponent. They can only beat bad teams. And I guess that's better than being a bad team yourself. But UNLV at some point needs some sort of, like, signature-type win to be like, yes, the Kevin Kruger era, you can compete, right? You Or you can do more than compete, I should say, because they can compete. But you can actually beat one. I, I think they need one of those wins for us to, like, Feel good about Kevin Kruger as a head coach. If they if they go this whole conference season without beating anybody, and they lose to all the top 100 teams, a their record's going to be horrendous. But b we're looking around saying, oh, okay, I mean, sure, UNLV was better than San Jose State and Air Force in New Mexico, but you if they go the whole conference play and don't ever beat one of these top 100 teams, we're looking and saying, what what was that? Like that was a bad year. So at some point they need to do that. At some point that's going to happen. This week they play three games. All against San Jose State and Air Force. They play the two worst teams in the conference three times this week. That should be three wins. This this week is not really going to tell us much of anything about UNLV. I, mean, I guess if they week lose from one tonight, of them. they get a game. Week from tonight, they play San Diego State. That game has been rescheduled. That week, they play San Diego State on Monday. Colorado State is currently scheduled for Friday. Okay. That week, we'll win, one, win one of those two. Win right. one of them, and right. we're. I'll give you a moral victory round of applause. Good right. job. You got one of the good teams, right? And one of the probably two best teams right. in the conference. If you get one of those two, if they lose both of those, yeah, they're going to get to play Boise state, Utah state and Nevada teams that are worse than Colorado state, Nevada, but you're kind of around saying, all right, so what? Like it, it, you get to a point where it's like, okay, you keep beating up on new Mexico's of the world. And right. that's pretty much 
all you can Should do. we be expecting more from Jordan McCabe? So it's interesting because Jordan McCabe, going into the game against Fresno State, had the second-best three-point percentage on the team. On the team? On the team. Now, granted, UNLV has been a bad three-point shooting right. team, so he's still. I think he was still below the national average. Right. He hit one of seven threes against Fresno State. I think UNLV needs better point guard play mm-hmm. to have a that was my point to have a legitimate chance. My problem is is I don't know where it comes from because I Jordan McCabe is better than Marvin Coleman. I don't think you're you're not getting anything more from Marvin Coleman that you're not getting from Jordan McCabe. Keyshawn Gilbert is fascinating to me because Keyshawn Gilbert we have seen multiple times this year defensively. He'll cause like four turnovers in like ninety seconds. And you're like, what the hell was that? Like, he, like there are times where he is the got to be the most annoying player in the history of the sport, right? And you'll get two minute spurts where he forces a couple of turnovers. You know, he gets some run out dunks or whatever. And you're like, Keyshawn Gilbert needs to play every minute. He also has the highest turnover rate on the team. UNLV does not actually turn the ball over very much. That's one of the things that Kevin Kruger's team has done very well this year. They don't, they very good at not turning the ball over, right? They'll take some bad shots or miss some shots, never knock down a three, miss some layups, but they don't turn the ball over. They get a shot up. Keyshawn Gilbert's like the one exception. He has a very high turnover rate. And the problem is, is a lot of the times he like dribbles it off his foot. Like they're not like, oh, he made a bad read or, oh, he threw a pass that was just out of the, like he'll try try to drive it in the lane and just dribble it off his leg. Like he'll have just like, hilariously bad turnovers where you're like, you can't really play that guy. So I don't think Keyshawn Gilbert's the answer either, because the other part about Keyshawn Gilbert is he's not giving you anything offensively, right? He doesn't really, he only shoots threes when he is left alone, completely wide open. He doesn't really get to the rim. Like we've seen moments of it, but he also turns it over too much. Like he doesn't give you enough offensively. So I think the answer is Jordan McCabe, unless they decide to go, you know, some situation where they're playing without a true point guard, like they could potentially do that. But the problem there, that would require Mike Nuga being good, and Mike Nuga's been the biggest disappointment on the team. Mike Nuga's got the second-worst offensive rating on the roster this year, which is stunning given how efficient he was at Kent State. So they could conceivably play without a true point guard, and maybe that's a path in the future, but you've got to have somebody else like a Mike Nuga step up and actually be good for that to happen. Otherwise, I think Jordan McCabe, despite him being somewhat of a disappointment, I think he's still the best option to be playing close to 30 minutes a night as your point guard. Let me ask you this uh, against uh, Fresno. Did you have a problem with Bryce Hamilton taking the three? So 25 seconds left down three. They get a defensive rebound. Hamilton dribbles it up. No pass takes a shot with like 19 seconds to go. After the game, Hamilton was like, well, Royce Ham came to set a screen. The big guy wasn't there to help defend the screen, which was right. You go back and watch it. The big guy's nowhere near helping contest that shot. So that part of the the thought process from Bryce Hamilton, I don't have a problem with. The issue is he didn't actually use the screen. He took the three before actually dribbling around the screen. So his defender never got screened, and his defender was still able to contest the shot. contest the shot. If he comes down and takes a hard dribble to the right and uses that screen, his defender gets screened, and it's a wide-open three, and then we have no – nobody has an issue with it at all because he had just made three threes to give him a shot. Right. the only reason they had a chance was because he had threes. That was the the only problem. He didn't use the screen. The thought process was fine. He just didn't actually use what he should the screen. And that's, you know, led to a contested three. He still almost made it. But that's the only real issue. The thought process, no problem with it at all. Coming up next, Jeff Grammer joins the show. 
we'll make sure that we keep our head on straight. Hopefully, hopefully we just keep that edge to us because I, I think that's the difference in this team uh, than in the past teams I've been on is that we have an edge to us and a belief in us that we really can do anything. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from the Albuquerque Journal is Jeff Grammer. Jeff, I have an important question for you. I don't watch a lot of New Mexico basketball except when they play UNLV, but it feels like for four straight years I've watched New Mexico play UNLV, and I have had the thought, this is the worst defensive team I've ever seen play. Why are they so bad defensively every year? Well, it's not every year. I mean, only one of them could be the worst, right? So, I mean, <laughs> they have that going for them. Um, this, I'll, first of all, I'll say this, and, and Believe me, I mean, people that, that follow me even on social or just know me here in New Mexico, no, I'm, I'm certainly not a, an apologist for the Lobos. Um, last Tuesday was easily the worst they have looked this year. And and that's not saying a whole lot. They, they looked awful. So um, it's not like they've looked great in other games either. But last Tuesday was, was absolutely pathetic. Um, their defense, though, this year, um, it, it wasn't going to be good anyway. But they did enter the the fall semester with a returning shot blocker in Valdir Manuel, um, who got suspended. He was being investigated on campus for an allegation against a girl that never came to fruition. But while he was waiting that on the main campus investigation, he said, I'm not waiting this out. I'm transferring. So he left. He was their 6'11 shot blocker. They brought in a Kansas transfer, Jethro Muscadin, 6'10", offensive-minded big, but a shot blocker. Had two guys who were rim protectors. They were still going to be thin at the five, but both of those guys are gone. Jethro Muskinen, um, after 12 games, decided to transfer, which is probably a good thing because he was kind of butting heads attitude-wise with the with the with the Tino. They, they, they actually, it's weird because they still actually get along pretty well, but on the court it just wasn't working. So he transferred, and, and obviously bigger than basketball, he he's now he went to the Nevada Kansas game on December 29th. Um, this was after he left the program, the Lobo program. And uh, he went to that after that game. He and a girl were driving home uh, to her home uh, somewhere near Topeka, got in a single vehicle crash, and he's still in a coma since then, since December 29th. Um, but, that, you know, on the basketball only front, those were coming into the year. They're both gone. Um, they, they got a guy from Sweden who didn't get here until a week into classes, didn't start practicing a month into the semester. He's their seven-foot freshman who, who was supposed to redshirt this year. They were kind of saying, all right, he's going to be our project guy two, three years down the road. He's their starting center now. They moved a six-foot-seven guard slash forward to the five. He broke his leg in the Utah State game. So they, they've had some issues. That said, they weren't going to be good defensively anyway. They, they have small guards who are all offensive-minded, and that's Jamal Mashburn, Jalen House. Those guys aren't great defenders anyway but they at least had some shot blockers they thought coming into the season. Well, press box transition to that because <laughs> I have no idea how to follow all that. And so, press box I mean, transition. Some of the things you said. Uh, we know Albuquerque can be hard on coaches, uh, one after the other out there. This is only his first year. How have they responded to Richard Pitino? Um, it's weird because after the Paul Weir experience, I think even people that would normally get on – um, Patino pretty quickly are hesitant to. I wouldn't say, you know, the, those diehards, the ones that get on coaches pretty quick, there's some of them. And I wouldn't say everybody's just giving them a pass. But but they know that, you know, Steve Alford had what he had going here, right? That 
New Mexico was was right up there. I mean, I I always point to 2013 as the the high water mark for the Mountain West. They got five out of nine teams in the in the conference tournament. I mean, think about that. More than half the league made uh, NCAA tournament rather. More than half the league made the NCAA tournament. That was an 18,000 you know Thomas and Mack Center championship game with Anthony Bennett's UNLV and the Tony Snell, Alex Kerr, Cam Bearstow, Kendall Williams. Um, Lobo team. I mean, that was a great experience. And and since that time, you know, Alford goes to UCLA. Craig Neal kind of helps run the program into the ground a little bit. He gets replaced with an experiment um, kind of coach who had had one year head coaching experience down at New Mexico State. And for four years, they don't really come through. the The program's already even before Patino got here. The program was already in its longest postseason drought since they built the pit. And this program hasn't been to an NIT or an NCAA tournament since 2014. So even the diehards that don't really have a lot of patience, I think that either they're accepting, which is kind of dangerous, right? Like you don't want them to accept or, or just uh, say this is what we are. But I think they're being a little more patient than normal. That said, this is a pretty bad team right now, and, and uh, it's coming. It's starting to come. So New Mexico and UNLV are both similar situations in that there should be good programs, should probably be – towards the top of the Mountain West more often, and both are in pretty long postseason droughts here. What's the path, like long-term or, or maybe short-term, like what's the path for New Mexico to get back to being one of the best teams in this conference? So I'll say this, and I don't know that it'll work out, but at least the the strategy, like the, the trust the process kind of slogan that the basketball teams and all, all sports teams use way too much, Patino's process was, I'm going to get a couple kind of benchmark or, or kind of uh, program building guards to build around. And he thought he had that, or it's not thought. He, he, he does still think he has it. Jamal Mashburn Jr. and Jalen House, again, they're, they're trying to do too much because nobody else is really stepping up a whole lot. They do got a good junior college guard in, in K.J. Jenkins, who had 26 um, at the UNLV game. But he, he got his guards, and he, he was kind of unsure about what he had in the front court guys to build around, he thinks, for the next two or three years. I mean, Mashburn is a sophomore, but he has the COVID year, so he's really, you know, he could be here for four years if he doesn't leave. Um, he and his dad both have very close relationships with Patino. He followed him to New Mexico. had never been to New Mexico. Followed, you know, side unseen to New Mexico. So he has a good relationship with Patino. Jalen House is a junior with two years, three years maybe, um, eligibility left. Those two guys will be their backcourt. For, for the next two or three years. And if they get a transfer big, you know, or three, that's uh, that's kind of <laughs> where they're looking for. But, you know, I guess that's not unlike 50, 60 other mid-major kind of teams. Like, you, you have to hope that the transfer market works out for you. But what he did in the transfer market coming in was he went young. He got a freshman transfer from Kansas, a freshman transfer from Minnesota, a sophomore transfer from Arizona State. He didn't go for juniors and seniors. He didn't want to have to do a complete overhaul next year. Um, so he at least went a little young through transfers, but he went a little young in how he tried to build this. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, Grammar, G-R-A-M-M-E-R, Jeff Grammar from the Albuquerque Journal, joining us here in the press box. Bizarre, bizarre year with COVID and all the pauses. Have you ever covered anything like this? And do you think, because there's a lot of games to match up, do you think anyone gets a full season in, or is this just going to go by win percentage when they start seeding out the conference tournament? Definitely win percentage. I, I don't see it going, you know, maybe a team or two sneaks into the 18-game mark. But, like, I, as I noted Saturday, it, it was weird. that You know, the team I covered, the Lobos, they've already had 
their off week or their off spot, one of their two buy spots, you know, last midweek or a week and a half ago, and they missed a game, and yet they were the first team to complete four games. So they completed four Mountain West games before Wyoming played their first. So we now have seven weeks of the Mountain West season left, and Wyoming has 17 games left to play. So if you're telling me that Wyoming's going to be one of the teams that gets to 18, well, then what are we doing? That's sort of, you know, the academics at every university campus that want to point out that, hey, maybe it's not the whole student-athlete thing you want to make it out to be if you're traveling to three or four games a week. Um, Wyoming's going to have some of that. You know, that like I don't know how you even try um, to make an honest effort of, of saying we're doing the student-athlete thing, but we're going to play 17 games in seven weeks. And these kids aren't going to be in charter planes the whole time. So it's going to be tough to get to 18 games. Um, and I, I think it's it's also, while we're talking about all that, it, it doesn't take away the fact that all that travel isn't exactly the safest environment for teams that are trying to avoid other pauses. That said, Wyoming, it sounds like their whole roster has already gotten this. And the one, you know, from a basketball standpoint, the one – uh, I guess good thing about all these Mountain West teams getting hit with COVID is you don't have to get tested again for 90 days once you have a positive. And that carries you through March and through the conference tournament at this point. So, you know, a good 75% of this league doesn't even have to get tested again before the conference tournament. You said Jamal Mashburn followed Patino to New Mexico without ever having been here. If you were trying to sell one of us on coming and moving to New Mexico without ever having been there, how would you do it? Besides the fact that I'm here, um, <laughs> I would say the, the thing about New Mexico is this: still, in, even in the Mountain West, while their budget isn't exactly the highest anymore, you know, they two years ago these numbers don't mean anything out of context. I know, but two years ago, when they cause they had their entire season last year played outside the state of New Mexico, so two years ago they still brought in over three and a half million dollars in ticket sales. The pit this year is still second in the Mountain West in attendance, and they haven't been to a postseason since 2014. I, I saw what the Thomas and Mac looked like last Tuesday. I know the pit is the worst I've ever seen it, and it's still the biggest visiting crowd I've been to all season. Um, it still is an environment. It does still put money into its basketball program. It, it doesn't seem to make sense that it will continue to be this bad for this long, but, you know, People could have said that three, four, or five years ago, and, and it still was happening. So the best-case uh, pitch, I guess, is that it is still in a pretty good conference outside the powers. Um, it's still in a pretty good conference. You'll still get some exposure, and it is a program that does still put money into its basketball program because the fans still show up here. They don't have you know, a hockey team to go watch. They don't have the Raiders to go watch. They, they have local basketball, so as bad as it gets, for the most part, they still show up. Well, he is Jeff Grammer from the Albuquerque Journal. Jeff, we appreciate your Thanks, time Jeff. This Take care of yourself. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Take care. So, I'm pretty sure on the tone of your question, you wanted him to say the food. Yeah, something. Food would have been nice. Would have been a fun answer. I've I've stayed one night in Albuquerque when I was moving here. Stayed in a hotel and the air conditioning went out. <laughs> what time of year was it? It was the summer. Oh, not good. It's a hot sleep. Not good. But that is it. That is the only uh, stopping in any part of New Mexico I have done. Did anyone else feel like the guy who broke his leg may have been the best off out of everything that that he listed? That was a long list where I'm like, how do I follow this? Hey, what do they think about Richard Pitino? Jeff Grammer has covered so much non-basketball covering the basketball team. Yeah. 
Like oh, they yeah. had multiple guys getting arrested two years yeah. ago. Yeah. Like he he's covered more. Like this is a tame year. The whole guy breaks his leg. There's a assault case on campus. Like that's tame compared he's, to what 2019 was. He's covered some coaching searches too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. it, it, which are the worst. And he's he's kind of right there. That pitch at the end of like, hey, they put a lot of money into this. There's still support for it. Like. There's no reason New Mexico should be this bad for this long. Right. Like the UNLV and New Mexico are kind of in the same situation yeah. where there's really no logical reason these two programs should both be bottom half Mountain West I mean, programs. What, 2013 for, for the Rebels, 2014 yeah. for the Lobos. Not Basically going to the, the tournament. Same. Yeah. And there, there's zero reason. Like, okay, maybe you don't make the tournament, but there's zero reason for both of these programs to be bottom half of the conference right. so many times. Like, neither one sniffed the NCAA tournament. No. Like, it makes zero sense that. Nevada and Utah State and Boise State can be better programs over near. I mean, we're almost on a decade now of that happening. All right. I don't know what's coming up next, but stay tuned. You're locked in the press box. You're not feeling good, Ed? Oh, I'm all right. A little okay. tired. A little tired. A little tired. What time did you fly back? It was hard because it was uh, had to be at the airport. By, well, I'm sure he'll be telling it on his show because he loves to say things I do. You know my penchant for wanting to be early yes yeah so had the uber get there at 4 50 what uh, time was the flight out at seven but we had to check in at 6 30 are you laughing a little bit okay a little bit okay <laughs> by the way i will say the uber was late he got there at 507 wow so were you panicked i didn't get a tip <laughs> hey i set that thing the night before and i say 450 and at four o'clock, you know, it'll tell you then, hey, we got a driver because you you set it, you've reserved it, and uh, I'm just I might have given him fifteen percent. I don't know. I, You're I don't, telling me, it. yeah, I did. We had this whole conversation about you got to set the Ubers the night before so they're there on time. I, I wouldn't have done it unless Adam reminded me. And then it was seventeen minutes late. Yeah, it was seventeen minutes In late. The busy city. Of I hit Cincinnati. the kid up. I was I was I was upset, but he was such a nice guy. He used to be a trucker. And said he came through Vegas often. He said, but this Uber thing's a lot easier because I just drive from Kentucky to Ohio all day. And he doesn't have to show up. And he doesn't have to show up. Obviously, he doesn't have to show up in time. <laughs> but also took the red eye out. Not a big red eye guy, but it was the only nonstop. You know when you get scared when you look at flights and you have to stop somewhere and it says total time of distance, like over 10 hours? You're like, okay, that's insane. Yeah. That's just, it's crazy. Yeah. So the only red eye was overnight. So there were a lot of people on that red eye covering that game, a lot of Raider fans. Living in Mississippi, everywhere you fly, you have to connect somewhere because it's Mississippi okay, yes. and it flies to like three airports. So unless you're going to like Atlanta or Houston, you, you're, you're, you're connecting stopping. somewhere. Living in Vegas, it's, oh, you know, we're spoiled. Yes. I mean, we we fly direct to yes. like almost everywhere. And to a point where it's like, in the past, I would have been like, yeah, of course, connecting flight, no big deal. But now I'm like a connecting flight. Yep. Yep. Oh, my God. Especially in Southwest. Yeah. A lot of directs. It's a like, lot of what, directs. What is this? Ridiculous. No, I would I would absolutely take the red eye direct rather than would, oh than rather stopping. than later in the day. There was one where whatever. like it was promoting lowest fare available. Stop in Atlanta for four and a half hours. Like <laughs> uh I don't think I want to do that. And since you left early, I assume you got home in time and could watch all the NFL games on Sunday. I missed some of Tampa though. That's fine. That's perfect. I missed some of Tampa miss because that. I will say shout out to the Uber guy who took me home from the airport. When I got there, it was a three-minute thing. Within two minutes, he said, I am in lo- I am in row D. You'll see me because I have my Uber hat on. Uber hat yeah, on? Yeah, he had a hat on. And then uh. when you got into Uber, he had literally 
laminated pages of all the schedule of all the shows in Vegas this week, the Golden Knights shows and games this week. This guy was top of the line, man. Ready to go. He was top of the line. Uber hat and a printed off itinerary for you to look through. And he's one of those guys where, I don't know about you and Ubers, but you tell right away, I don't like people, nor do I want to talk. So it's like, hey, you know, where are you coming from? Cincinnati. And then they kind of get right away. But some never get it, and they talk the entire way home. And it's like I told you by one-word answers that people are not my favorite. Wait, this guy, he he got it, though? Got it right away. Never said another word the whole time. Until get to the gate, he goes, what's the code? And that's it. That's the only words he said. Best Uber driver ever, isn't he? Best ever. Best ever. That's incredible. Yeah, he pushed the tip a little because on the uh, page with all the Golden Knights games and the shows, it had his Venmo (laughs) and his. I love this guy. What's another app? There's like two apps PayPal, PayPal, Cash App. Might have been that. Might have been Cash App. But uh, yeah, he. I mean, so so you could do it by obviously the Uber app that allows you to then tip afterwards or the two. So when I got out, I said Ziggy. He went by the name Ziggy. I said Zigger. Uh, best Uber drive ever. I'll take care of you. And I gave him the wink. And I did. <laughs> now, I didn't Venmo anything because I thought that would have been a little weird. Would be a little if weird. If I knew Ziggy's Venmo. Uh, <laughs> so just went off the app for the uh, Uber. Yeah. It's phenomenal. It's great. <laughs> best Uber driver ever. Oh, best by far. Yeah. Why do they always want to talk? No. I don't want to talk to anybody. I, I barely want to talk on this show. <laughs> 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 Never mind the people. I mean, come on. The other key to taking the red eye out of Cincinnati is it's less time you have to spend in Cincinnati. It's true. Which, it's no, it's true. again, I've never been, and I'm going to keep dumping on this city that I've never been to because I can't tell you one good thing about it except for the penguins waddling through the zoo. So if I go to Cincinnati, I might go to the zoo and see the penguins. 